Well, as I said earlier, this is my first Sunday back after uh, 12 weeks. So this is my first time preaching. I did preach once while I was uh, on sabbatical. It was a surprise preaching. I'll tell you about that next week, actually, just to tease you a little bit. Uh, so if I, if I have some like rust I'm kicking off, that's why, okay? But I'm really excited to be back this morning, to be here with you, and to uh, spend time again with you and your families and caring for you. And I'll, I'll go into even more about kind of what my sabbatical was like a little further on in my, my sermon. We, we had a uh, sermon series all planned out way back in the spring. Uh, what we're going to do after sabbatical, I was going to jump into. And as my sabbatical was kind of getting toward the end, I was praying and thinking about what I wanted to do next and really felt God pressing on me as I kind of began to get more excited about coming back and, and thinking and dreaming and just thinking about you guys. Uh, we, we just changed everything and decided something new for uh, this fall. So this series we're going to kick off today, we're calling Dream Bigger. Uh, we'll do this for a couple of weeks, and then we'll actually jump into a book of the Bible after that for the fall. But this sermon series is, is meant to be kind of a, um, a call out, a, a challenge for you individually, for your families, for our church to do just that, to dream big, dream um, really big, dream even bigger than you ever dreamed before. I want to cast this this vision to get you excited about Jesus, about church, about the potential of what Lighthouse could, should be. When I was thinking about this idea of dreaming and thinking of the future and big ideas, um, sometimes it's, it's hard as adults to do this. It's so easy as as little kids to kind of have these huge, big dreams, right? You're, you're small, so everything is kind of big around you. Um, the crushing reality of the world is not set in yet, like insurance and adulting and everything. But you had these like huge, big dreams when you were a kid, right? And you can think back to when you were a kid, maybe these dreams and passions and things you thought you would do or be. Maybe it was like a, a job, right? These big, like, you know, vision, kind of cool things of, I want to be an astronaut, be the first, you know, person from my class to go into space or to do this or go to Mars or be a firefighter or a doctor. When I was a kid, I wanted to be a veterinarian. Uh, Loved animals. We had a dog. I had like a lizard and snake and all kinds of things, and mostly because my third grade teacher, Mrs. Brown, she loved animals, and she, um, kind of a strange story, but my friend Scott caught a turtle one time, so we went over to her house and gave her this turtle, and she had, she had this wall of tanks of animals. I'm sure it was not as many as my mind thinks it actually was, but just this huge, like, oh, that's what I want in my house now, too, to be a veterinarian. Or maybe you had, like, you know, dreams of the kid of being rich. Like, I will have so much money, and, you know, my, my house will be gigantic. I'll have this giant pool in the backyard with, like, slides coming off of my roof, going into my pool, or, you know, 17 cars, or, like, in 
my kid dreaming of Nintendo, like have a whole room set up for Nintendo 64 games, or, or maybe you had dreams of playing sports like being in the NFL or being better than Michael Jordan or, or whatever it was. I want you, through this series, through the scripture passages, the verses we look at, to begin to have that that kind of childlike wonder again of your own relationship with Jesus, your, your spirituality, your life, and the life of this church. To dream big like that. I've always thought, I've always thought this since the moment I, I came to this church seven years ago, that there's so much potential this church has for affecting the South Side, Carlisle, the community around us. And, and I think God does this often even if you look at different people in the Bible. He, he'll take somebody that we may not even think very much of, and he'll cast this, this vision or this calling on their life that is so much bigger than they can even imagine. Think about Genesis, Genesis chapter 12. God comes to this guy named Abram doesn't even know who God is, and he just says to this guy, Abram, and says, I'm going to bless you. I want you to head west, away from your family, away from anything you ever know. You're going to be mine. I will be your God, and you're going to have so many kids, descendants, that you can't even count them. Like, look at the stars. It'll be more than the stars in the sky. That's, that's a big dream, right? Or, or Moses. God comes to Moses, who's 80 years old, got a weird history, killed somebody, ran away, and and he says, "Um, I want you to go and save a million people from slavery. David, youngest of his family, God comes to him and says, you're going to be king of a nation, even though you're small and a shepherd and like to play the harp. Mary, Mary, the, the, the mother of Jesus. I mean, the one who took care of Jesus as an infant and helped him to grow was a nobody, was not even married. <clears throat> the 12 disciples. I mean, all of these guys were, let's be honest, they're, they're kind of losers. They don't get it. They don't know much of what Jesus talks about and they're really slow. And Jesus comes to them, gives them this huge dream that you're going to start a church and churches and grow. And then even Paul, as we're going to look at today a little bit, he says the same then, God using him to people and to churches and saying, God has a big plan for your life. So we're going to unpack this idea of kind of dreaming big in four different ways. We're going to talk about it as as our church, as Lighthouse. (coughs) Excuse me. Our, our community around us, our, our homes and families, but today we're going to start with you. Kind of looking at you, you personally, you first. Uh, I'm going to be so bold as to challenge you my first Sunday back as, as your pastor to dream bigger for, for yourself. Uh, I've got got five points this morning. They won't be on the screen. You don't have them in your, your bulletin because, uh, as you can tell from my voice, like, 
my hope was to come back like, yeah, Monday morning, strong, come back from sabbatical of 12 weeks. But our family decided to all get the same cold and pass it around. And so I'm still coming off of that. But I'll be sure to tell you these five points if you want to write them down. But if you want, take your Bibles out. Or if you have a phone, uh, you can pull up the Bible on there. Uh, Uversion is a great Bible app if you don't have that. But turn to Psalm 16. This morning we're going to jump around a little bit in the Bible. And as I said, we're going to come to a book of the Bible in a few weeks. We're going to uh, stay in a book. And we, we like to do this as a church. If you are new here, we'll, we'll take books of the Bible or topics and always coming back to the Bible. This is... What we believe is that this is not just um, some kind of interesting, uh, somewhat historical, you know, a lot of allegories, stories kind of a book, but this is true. Historically, it is um, true, and it says true things about salvation and life and heaven and what you should do and believe. So Psalm 16 is where we're going to be starting this morning. But number one, my big dream for you. I want you to have a thriving, healthy, joyful relationship with Jesus. Thriving, healthy, joyful relationship with Jesus. Jesus. I tried to fit as many adjectives as I could in there to talk about your own personal relationship with Jesus. I don't know what your summer has been like. I don't know what your last year has been like. Your own personal relationship with Jesus. Your, your excitement level for, for singing songs on a Sunday morning in church. Your excitement level to like come and hear the Word being preached. Your, your, your joy uh, over the, the word of the Bible, like when you get up a Tuesday morning to read the Bible, your, your health and your relationship with God to speak honestly to Him and Him to speak honestly to you in your own prayer time. That you would be like my, my, my garden right now, like my tomato plants that are just like thriving and healthy and producing way too many tomatoes. You would be like that. Like you would be thriving and healthy in your relationship. Here's, I think, what we see from David in Psalm 16. Hear this from Psalm 16. David, he says, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they're the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another god shall, shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood will, I will not pour out or their, take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion of my cup. You, you hold my lot, lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel in the night. Also, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my, my heart is glad. My, my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to shield or let 
your holy ones see corruption. This is probably the most important verse here, verse 11. You, you God, you make known to me the path of life in your presence. There is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I mean, does, that, does that describe your relationship with Jesus? Like you are just overflowing with joy and affection and, and love for your Savior. When, when you read the Psalms, this is, this is really important. When you read the Psalms, these are, these are prayers inspired by God to God. And look for um, themes and repeated words. Often it'll help you to understand what's happening in those psalms. You'll see the psalmist often praying uh, the same thing, a theme for, for a little while. He's, he's sad or angry or sorrowful. God, where are you? you know, just honest emotions in these prayers and psalms. Or maybe you can find a bit of, of a psalm like, he's angry. God, would you take out my enemies? Or he's just in love with God. Or, or look for repeated words. Uh, Hebrew poetry, which is this, what this is, the Psalms, will often repeat words uh, just a little bit differently or the same thing. And so that's what we see in this Psalm here. Right? He, he, he talks about his, his, his God. From the very beginning of, of verse 2, I say to you, Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. And he keeps kind of repeating this theme that all good comes from God. Even his friends, the saints, they're the excellent ones. I get all my delight from them. And then in verse 4, it changes. There's this idea of sorrow from something different that we'll talk about. But all of his good, all of his, his portion, all of his counsel, and all his, his gladness, it comes from God, but look at all these repeated words he keeps saying. I mean, if, if there's a theme to this psalm, it's, it's joy and rejoicing. He says, good and excellent ones and delight and pleasant places and beautiful inheritance and glad and rejoices and fullness of joy, pleasure forevermore. That I mean, he is just excited for Jesus in this moment and he wants to tell everybody about it. And he's contrasting that with verse 4. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Just compared to the rest of the psalm where he is love and life and joyful, they have sorrows and they're going to multiply. And he says, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to pour offering the things to that. But those who run after other gods, those who, I mean, his time, his culture, they would go to Baal or other images of God, but we could relate to, to ourselves too, right? That it go to something else, some other idol in our life, whether it be time or money or pleasure or work or some sin habit. He is no good apart from God. John Piper, pastor, he's been known for this phrase, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. It even comes from an older phrase from the 1600s. It talks about, it's kind of this question and answer, you know, what, what's the chief end of man? What's our purpose in life? It says to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Have you ever thought about that, that your purpose in life is to enjoy God? 
It's not to work for him and to, uh, it's not just singing songs and glorifying him also, but it's enjoying him by glorifying him in all that you do. And I've I thought about this phrase too, like as your pastor, I, I want to fight for your joy. The next point, I'm going to get in your face a little bit about this, but there are things in this life that will cause you sorrow, like verse 4 says, that will take away this, this just fullness of joy that he's talking about. I want to point those out and let the Holy Spirit convict you of those to turn toward Him because it's this phrase, this thriving, healthy, joyful relationship that you have. I want you to have this well-balanced diet of, of Jesus in your life, that it's healthy and it's thriving, it's growing. You are gaining more and more every day a knowledge of Jesus and growing to be like Him. And that only comes, as verse 11 says, you make known to me the path of life. It's only through the path of the gospel, the good news we celebrate with communion. Now, let me give you an application of this in my next point, my next big dream for you. Um, if you want to find healthy, thriving, joyfulness in your relationship with Jesus, you're going to need this. I'm going to get in your face a little bit. I'm not going to pull any punches. This is, this is so important. But point two, my big dream for you is that you would radically cut out every inch of sin in your life. If you want a, a healthy, a joyful, man, just satisfied, content life with Jesus, go hard after sin and temptation in your life. Don't let it sneak in. Again, in this, this, this chapter of the psalm, Psalm 16, verse 4, the sorrows of those who run after other gods shall multiply. I mean, you might think, yeah, I don't, I don't really do that. I don't run after other gods, right? I mean, it, one of the things that I got to do in my sabbatical time was just kind of watch culture and watch the news and see how crazy our world has been the last three, six, nine, ten, whatever months. And there's a lot in our culture, in our world today, our American cultural world that encourages you to do just that, to run hard after sin and enjoy it, dive into it. I mean, party, get drunk and sexual sin, and all kinds of things. But the Bible is really clear. Those things will turn into sorrow and madness and will not be good. And so, Paul, I mentioned earlier, Paul, in his love for the churches that he plants, for the people that he loves, these Christians, He'll write them letters, and he doesn't just have this nice, comfortable, like, hey, you're doing great, love you. Yeah, he'll, he'll say that, but he has this pointed way of, of looking them straight in the eyes and saying, stop it, you need to cut it out. 
Let me just read you a few of these verses. This is 1 Corinthians 15, verse 34. This is intense. He says, Wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right, and do not go on sinning. For some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. It's not just that church. I mean, Ephesians chapter 5, he's, he's encouraged them and good here. He says, verse 1, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But he says, but, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. There's an older NIV version that talks about like not even a hint of sexual immorality. He goes on, let there, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. Or, or later on that chapter, verse 11, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Or to the Romans, he says, you also must consider yourselves dead to sin. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin. Or one last one here from Colossians chapter 3. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual morality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, idolatry. You must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. There's some commonalities here, right? These are all strong commands from Paul. They're not like options and, you know, hopefully, maybe you'll do this. No, they're all strong commands he's giving them, and they're extreme. Put to death. Stop sinning. Because Paul knew the power of even one little sin in our life. Now, I want to say this here that, you know, for those of you that Maybe I haven't met as well or don't know or newer, and, and maybe you, you, you don't claim to be a Christian. Um, sin is your, your life. That's what the Bible talks about, that someone does not know Jesus, they can do nothing but sin. That just comes out of you. For someone who has put their faith in Jesus, we know that we are not perfect by any means. <laughs> A lot of times we're called hypocrites as Christians because we keep sinning, right? We know that. We know that we're hypocrites. We keep on sinning. But it's only through the power of Jesus that we can even begin to tackle those sins and then one day in heaven be totally free from sin. And so if you ever struggle with sin, come to Jesus. We all have our choice of sins. I can't look into your heart. I don't know that. God knows that, but sin is sneaky. It so often creeps into our life in, in little ways, maybe through a relationship or watching a, a TV show or, or music or even just 
sometimes suffering or bad things that happen in our life that then slowly begin to go into our feelings and then how we go. And one of the things you see in, in Scripture time and time again is that when revival begins to happen in a church or a nation or a people, there's two things, prayer and confession of sin. So, I encourage you to pray about that. Pray, open up to your spouse. I pray, I pray that this would be an open, authentic, like you would come with your broken, messed up, sin-wrecked life here. We're not going to judge you because we are all sinful, but be open and honest to say, God, I need your help. Number three, I want you to find, I'm sorry, to pursue biblical balance and rest in your life. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 20, verses 9 to 11. Pursue biblical balance and rest. The, the main part of my sabbatical was about rest, to rest from, from, from ministry, from some of the pressures, the, the stresses, from long hours. And one thing I did early on in my sabbatical was to kind of study this idea of rest. But look for this word rest and Sabbath. Here they're going to read about this. comes from the Ten Commandments as God gives to Moses and the people, the Israelites, this is the fourth command, the, you know, these major Ten Commandments that He gives, the fourth one that we are to do, starting in verse 9. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or your sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. It's interesting, out of all the Ten Commandments that we think about, you know, do not lie, do not murder, do not steal. We often think about this one as the one that doesn't apply to us anymore. And I've wondered that and thought that for a while in my life, but I've, I've been, been considering more what it means to actually still put this into practice, to have Sabbath and rest, even as I, I work on a Sunday, what that means to Sabbath. But God, in His goodwill and pleasure and mind, He doesn't command people here in the most important things he wants to say, the Ten Commandments, to work harder, do more for me. No, one of his most important commands he gives is that you must rest. You must stop. All going back to the creation of the world where God sets this example, not because he has to rest, but because he wants to show us how important it is. He rested and commands us to do the same. 
As I said, I got to do this in my sabbatical. I got to rest. I got to hang out with my kids more because they were off from school. We went on vacation. Uh, We did vacations like my wife and I got away to New England for a week, just the two of us. We went as a family to Wisconsin, played in a lake for, for a week. Got to go on a random road trip with my friend the last week of sabbatical. I mean, I, I rested so much that I, I didn't set an alarm all summer. The first alarm that I set was actually this last week. It was what my first day of work was, was Wednesday. And I, I had forgotten that my alarm... I usually have like a nice song for my alarm when it goes off to wake me up. But I set it, and it's, it's one of those loud, most annoying alarms you can possibly have alarms. So Wednesday morning, 6 a.m. it goes off, and it's one of those times where like you're in the middle of a dream, and you begin to experience things outside your dream that go into your dream, right? So I can hear this beeping in my dream, and my dream I'm thinking like, what's going on? Is there a tornado going on in my dream? What, what is this? And then finally my wife kind of like, kicks me, nudges me like, your alarm's going off. What? That's, that was my wake-up call, 6 a.m. on Wednesday. But one of the things I did with my sabbatical, too, is to rest and get healthier in ways of looking at my physical, emotional, setting good boundaries, habits. I'll, I'll be kind of posting more about those things in um, the future, kind of email and Facebook. But number four, big dream for you. Two left here. Number four, I want you to become the leader God has called you to be. I want you to become the leader that God has called you to be. I've struggled with this question for a number of years. Is every Christian called to be a leader? And, and for a long time I would say, you know, a, a disciple, Uh, To make disciples, yes, every Christian is called to that. But I'm becoming more and more convinced that every single Christian is called to be a leader. Now, I get to lead in a certain way, right, where I'm on stage, I'm talking to you, I'm I'm casting vision, I'm kind of doing things. That's that's one kind of leadership, but that's not necessarily what I'm, I'm talking about here. In fact, Christian leadership is different than worldly leadership, as Jesus teaches us, but but I see this example from, from Paul again telling people how he is going to lead them by, by asking them to follow him. He says this over and over again, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1. You, you guys, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. You, you follow me, you watch me, do what I do as I am looking to Jesus. Philippians chapter 4, what you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. He keeps saying this over again, like, you guys, just follow me, imitate me. I want you, I want to encourage you, challenge you to find your sphere of leadership as a believer, to find people to follow you, not just in a evangelism, discipleship, yes, that's a big part of this, but maybe it's leading in some sort of serving area. I mean, what, what an incredible difference that would make if our church became a main training center for leaders in our community, not just being trained 
uh, for leadership by our schools or our businesses or, or, or you know, neighborhood developments, but that our church is a leadership training center, how influential would that be? And I want to just point out and speak to directly real quick here the men in our church. For so many years, uh, statistics can show us this, that women so often are the ones that are leading the way spiritually in their homes. They're the ones that are bringing their family to church and praise God for that. But men, I want to look to you and challenge you to step up in your spiritual leadership. Will that be in your, your home, in your business, in your neighborhood, here at our church? That you would just begin to pray that one little prayer, God, show me how I can lead as a believer. Finally, number five, my big dream for you, for you personally, that you would commit to this community. Fall is just around the corner, pumpkins and pumpkin spice and all of that. There's a lot of things that will vie for your attention this fall. I know, like my family is young, we're going to have lots of sports and activities and things that will form communities for us pretty soon. You may find community with your kids, sports, um, maybe it's sports watching in general, college sports, professional sports, holidays, social media, whatever community you find yourself, I'm encouraging you, I'm challenging you to commit to this community. I've read this passage so many times and it's probably been read this past summer. But it's such a great example of what it means to commit to a community of, of, of church. Acts 2, 42 to 47. Look how the early church committed to their community. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers and awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with good and generous hearts, praising God, having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Here's a group that was so in love with Jesus that it drew them together. They, they then devoted themselves to these things, to fellowship, to teaching, communion, to praying together. They even had all their possessions. They were sharing these things together. They committed to this community. Now, yes, that's Sunday morning, right? That's, that's the whole time where we're all here together that's committing to this, whether you're here personally, whether you're watching online, you are here committed I know, that's hard in our culture. That's not easy because the statistics tell us that it's more common to come like once, twice a month to church or I've got you know, this thing I'm doing or this sport or whatever. But I'm challenging you. I'm trying to commit to that daily, weekly feeding of the Word and this community. But it's also not just saying Sunday morning. Maybe you commit this summer to or this fall to, to a one-to-one discipleship thing. 
you commit, okay, once a week, I'm going to try and grow myself to get better to, in, in the Word of God to know what God's plan for me is. Or uh, we're hoping to start up some small groups, community groups soon. And so maybe you want to come and just find more community with your church people here, let us. Hey, this is a great series to invite your friends, your neighbors, people you haven't seen all summer uh, here at Lighthouse too. We'll begin this or continue this again next week. We're going to close our service here with one last song and take our offering. Just as in that Acts 2 passage, it talks about how they, they met together, they Worship. They had communion together. They broke bread. Uh, they also gave. And that's a big part of what it means to worship and to be part of this community. When we come now during offering, we come to give toward God and to give to the church to disperse that to those in need and to do ministry. And if you're not connected online, uh, you can see on our screen here, hopefully. Yep, there you go. You can text it or go onto our website to give. Hey, would you guys pray with me? Father, I thank you so much for this church. I thank you for how you have used this church, how you have done amazing things this past summer and done ministry and worked through our staff and, and Craig Nelson and all the, the guest preachers that came in. And God, as we continue to step out forward as a church, as you bring new people in, God, as you convict us of our sins and draw us closer to you, would you help us to dream incredibly big, to have big prayers for revival in this church, in our homes, our neighborhoods, and the south side, that we would confess our sin to you, God, that you would give us a joy and a rest and raise up leaders here to just celebrate in this community. God, we give this all to you that we might glorify you by enjoying you forever. God, we come now to give to you through our offering, through our worship. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.